Well, because, uh, because you and I, <clears throat> excuse me, live in the information age, we're in the habit of whatever question we have, whatever we want to find out, we just type it in on uh, in Google or, or some other search engine, and, uh, and it brings up all kinds of results for us, and, and sometimes those results are helpful, and, and other times they're, they're not so much, but recently I was, uh, I was doing a search for, uh, for this morning's sermon, and I wanted, I wanted examples of failed leaders. And, and a lot of what came back in, in the search results were, were examples of people who failed at first, but, but then finally succeeded and, and became famous in, in one way or another. But, but that wasn't what I was looking for. I wanted people who failed, and that was it. Like, there's, there's not a good comeback story. The, they never became famous other than for their epic failure. Like, that, that's, that's really what I was looking for. And the best that I could come up with um, was a, a list of failed CEOs of companies. All right, and so I'll, I'll give a few of these. But I, I guess there's just not a lot of demand to read about people who failed, and then that was it. Like, nobody's really searching for that kind of thing. But... But here's what I found on, on that list of, of failed CEOs. Just some examples. There was a guy named Ken Lay, who was the CEO of Enron, which right there kind of tells us that was a big failure story, right? He, he was found to have been guilty of securities fraud. He lied about the liabilities and assets of his company. And of course, that was a big fiasco about 20 years ago or so. Uh, Chuck Conway the CEO of Kmart was brought in to Kmart in the year uh, 2000 to turn things around at a struggling company. Well, because you and I shop at Kmart like every week, we know that worked, right? <laughs> but not only did he fail in his task, he, he was also charged with defrauding stockholders and using company money to purchase houses and airplanes. So that was a real good failure story there. Uh, this one was interesting to me. Tommy Sopwith was the founder of Sopwith Aviation Company. This was one of the largest aircraft manufacturers in the first couple decades of the 20th century. Um, they actually built 16,000 aircraft for use during the First World War. But after the war, after there wasn't a demand for military planes like there was before, they, they refused to drastically change their product to appeal to a commercial market, and so they closed in 1920. And then lastly, the last one I want to share with you, John Scully was the CEO of Apple for a decade, and he fired Steve Jobs in 1985. I mean, enough said there, right? We all know what happened once Steve Jobs came back to Apple. But now, now, so that was a list of failed CEOs. And so the focus there is upon bad business decisions that they made. But, but failures in leadership comprise more than just business decisions. And, and so what we're going to see this morning is that Micah had a message for the leaders of God's people uh, and about the leaders of God's people. They, they were... They were failing in their roles, not because of bad business decisions, but, but because of other things. And so, so our focus today will be on Micah's second message, and it's found in chapters 3 through 5. So I would encourage you to turn there with me. Micah chapter 3 is where we will start. 
That's page 777 in the Pew Bibles. So let's see, let's see what Micah brought to light regarding, regarding the actions of the, the leaders among God's people. So Micah chapter 3, verse 1. It says, And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob, rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron? Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus the Lord says concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips and there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. So what Micah reveals here is, is that the leaders of God's people were failing miserably. We talked about the prophets last week. They were, they were either giving good or bad prophecies based on whether or not they were adequately compensated for their message. Uh, Micah talks in verse 11 about how, <clears throat> excuse me, about how this desire for money, uh, it extended beyond the prophets, it went to the rulers, went to the priests as well. Uh, they, they taught for a price. They, they withheld justice uh, um, in favor of bribes. But, but nothing, I, I think nothing can beat what Micah says right off the top. In verse 2, it says, they hate the good, they love the evil. And then he goes on to compare them to cannibals. And we're given a graphic description as a metaphor to show just how much they despised the people that they were leading now, I, I have no doubt that Micah's words were spoken about numerous rulers among God's people. This could have been anyone from the king of the nation to, to the elder of a small village on the outskirts of, of the territory. But let's focus for just a moment on the king, the one tasked with leading all of the people in the nation. We're told back in chapter 1, verse 1, that, that Micah spoke these messages during the reigns of King Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Now, when it comes to King Jotham, 
we're, we're told in 1 Kings 15 that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That, that's how his reign is described. Uh, he wasn't perfect. It says he, he didn't remove the high places where people would go and worship the gods, worship false gods. But, but nevertheless, his reign was summarized as a positive one. And then there's King Ahaz. Let, let, let me just list some of the things that marked the reign of King Ahaz. And, and, and these can be found in 2 Kings 16, 2 Chronicles 28. His reign was summarized as walking in the ways of the kings of Israel. And because there was not a, a single good king of the northern nation of Israel, that was not a compliment when they gave that, when it says he walks in the ways of the kings of Israel. Ahaz himself sacrificed to idols at the high places. Uh, he made metal idols of Baal for the people to worship. He burned his own sons as a human sacrifice to false gods. When he was threatened by an alliance between Syria and northern Israel, he contacted the Assyrians to create his own alliance. He didn't turn to God. He turned to the evil Assyrians. Uh, once on a visit to the city of Damascus, he, he was enamored by this altar to the false gods of the Syrians that he saw there. So enamored that he had a replica built for himself. He removed the temple, uh, the, the altar in the temple the bronze altar, and installed this new altar in its place. He himself offered sacrifices on this altar to the false gods. He had the bronze basin in the temple also removed. That was the place where the priests would cleanse themselves. Um, Ahaz constructed altars to false gods all over Jerusalem. He made more high places throughout the rest of southern Judah for further idol worship, he cut up the vessels that were used for worship in the temple, worship of God. He even went so far as shutting the doors of the temple so that no one could enter. That's Ahaz. <laughs> now, we can't, we can't say for sure because this message from Micah is not specifically dated. But I believe it's likely that King Ahaz was the one reigning as Micah spoke this specific message, chapters 3 through 5. So when he says that the leaders hate the good and love evil, I think it's likely that the people were picturing the actions of their current king, as I just described them. So it's no wonder that Micah warned that judgment from God would come and it would result in Jerusalem being a heap of ruins the Temple Mount being a, a wooded area lacking any temple building. Due to the failures of the leaders, and especially that of the king, disaster was indeed coming on the nation. Now, before we continue on in Micah's, Micah's uh, message, I, I want to pause right here and, and have us look at our own context Think about our own leaders today. I've already mentioned some failed business leaders from recent decades, but, but failed leadership is not limited to the business world. It doesn't matter how you voted in recent elections. You can come up with an example of politicians who you would describe as a failed leader. I think we can all do that. Uh, perhaps you've had a boss or manager who you've worked with 
worked for that failed in their leadership. Even within the church, it seems like, it seems like every time I turn around, there's a pastor or, or a church leader in the news who, who's caught up in a scandal of some kind, failed leadership of some kind. Uh, it was leading me to reflect this week over, over my time in Vincennes, Indiana, and, and I served um, in the town. There was another fellow youth pastor in that town as well. Um, uh, in 2014, he was arrested for sexual misconduct with one of his students, um, sentenced to 20 years in prison. I mean, failed leadership. We see it. We see it all over the place. A, a crisis of leadership wasn't just present in Micah's day. It's not just unique to that time. We have that, that same crisis in our day as well. Just as sinful men and women were failing in leadership then, they're failing in leadership now. So the question is, do we have any hope in the midst of that? In, in, this, in this epidemic of failed leadership among mankind, is, is there hope for us? Well, Micah would say there is. And so if we continue in his message, we look at what he goes on to say in chapter 4, we get some words of hope. And, and, and notice the contrast that he draws between the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. So chapter 3 ends with the description of the Temple Mount, the mountain of the house, is how it's described, that it's, that it's an overgrown forest, it's an overgrown thicket. But look at how it's then described at the beginning of chapter 4 as he talks about hope. Follow with me. Chapter 4, verse 1. It says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples, shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And Micah then goes on in chapter 4, and he, he, he describes the oppressed being gathered in. He describes God reigning, uh, the people being rescued uh, from their enemies. It's a message of hope. In the midst of the failed leadership there, there's this message of hope that Micah gives. But, but we probably should ask ourselves, how is it going to come about if, if, the, if the destruction of chapter 3 came about due to failed leadership, we might say King Ahaz in particular, then perhaps a good leader, a, a good king is needed to bring about this, this uh, prophecy of hope, to bring it to pass. You know, if God's people could just have a good king reigning over them, then perhaps this hope-filled prophecy will, will come to pass. Well, 
The third king in that list from chapter 1, verse 1 is King Hezekiah. For, for as evil and, and, and horrific as King Ahaz was, uh, let me describe for you the reign of his son, Hezekiah. And again, these details can be found in 2 Kings 18, 2 Chronicles 29 through 31. It is said of Hezekiah that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Specifically, he removed the high places, high places where people went to worship false gods. Uh, the bronze serpent, the one, uh, the one that God had directed Moses to make in Numbers chapter 21, that bronze serpent was actually starting to be worshipped as an idol among God's people. So uh, Hezekiah destroyed it. He destroyed it. He said, it doesn't matter that there's great history behind this. We're worshipping it as an idol. We're destroying it. We're removing that temptation. Uh, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple that Ahaz had shut. He told the priests and the Levites to reconsecrate themselves. He had the temple itself cleansed and reconsecrated. He, he reinstituted the observance of the Passover, which hadn't really been properly celebrated for quite a while. Um, he reappointed musicians to lead worship in the temple. Uh, he refused to contribute, uh, to continue the tribute to the Assyrians that Ahaz had begun. And, and when Assyria responded less than favorably to that decision, Hezekiah prayed to God and trusted him to bring deliverance when the Assyrians came and besieged Jerusalem. And God miraculously did that. And there's this great summary statement found in 2 Chronicles 31. And it says this, Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God in every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. That's a king, right? Well, I mean, what a wonderful king, and especially when you compare it to his dad, to King Ahaz and all that he had done. If Ahaz could be described as hating the good and loving the evil, then, then you'd have to say that Hezekiah loved the good and hated the evil. I mean, God's people were blessed to not have to wait long for a good king to come after King Ahaz. Hezekiah provided good leadership. And so now that, that the good king was reigning, the question is, well, is the message spoken by Micah, the message of hope in chapter 4, is that going to come to pass? because there's this good king on the throne in Israel. I, 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 don't, I don't know that, that we could fault the people if they, if they anticipated that outcome. King Hezekiah was indeed a good, godly leader. Problem was, he's still a sinful human. Even though he was a good leader, he's still a sinful human. We're told in, in 2 Kings chapter 20 that, that uh, Hezekiah became sick to the point of death. And the prophet Isaiah even came to him and said, you know, put your house in order. Death is coming. You are going to die from this illness. Well, Hezekiah threw himself at God's mercy. He wept bitterly over what, what was told was going to take place. And God responded by, by adding 15 years to Hezekiah's life. And he told him that he would add 15 years that's a good outcome, right? That's a great outcome, extending the reign of this good king. 
The only problem is that Hezekiah became increasingly prideful from that point forward. When the leaders of, of other nations heard what had happened, they came and uh, they came to visit him, but rather than give praise to God, Hezekiah, he pridefully showed off his great wealth. It wasn't, look at what God has done, it's, wow, look at who I am. <clears throat> and so God then told Hezekiah that as a result, his wealth was going to be taken away. It's going to be taken away to Babylon. And not only his wealth, but his descendants would be taken captive as well. And you know how Hezekiah responded? Oh, I'm glad it's not going to be in my lifetime. I'm glad that's going to be for my kids, my descendants, to have to worry about. I mean, his, his pride and his self-centeredness were, were quite apparent. So all that to say the promise of, of uh, restoration, the, the, the hopeful message in chapter 4 is real, but it's not going to come about through a sinful human no matter how good of a leader they are. Hezekiah was one of the best kings that Israel ever saw. And it still didn't bring about what's foretold in chapter 4. So again, before we go on, let, let, let's pause again and come back to our own context. Uh, I'm confident in saying that I think we too might assume that, that things will improve if only we can have good leaders over us. You know, our hope can be placed in the ability to find the right leader. I mean, definitely true in politics, right? But we can think about that in workplaces and in, in, in churches and other areas as well. And if we learn anything from uh, Hezekiah, it's that good leaders are good. They're very good and they're, they're beneficial, <clears throat> excuse me, beneficial to those that they lead. But they're not, they're not worthy of ultimate hope. It's a, it's a year and a half until the next presidential election in our country. Things are heating up already, right? And, and while elections are important, and arguably none more important than a presidential election for us in our country, if, if, if we look to any sinful human to bring about true restoration, we're, we're going to be left disappointed. A, a good leader can benefit a country, but they can't provide true restoration. A good leader can turn a business profit, but they can't provide true restoration. A good leader can help a team win a Super Bowl, but they can't provide true restoration. Right? A good leader can, can grow a church, but they can't provide true restoration. A sinful human cannot make the reality of Micah chapter, what's described in Micah chapter 4 become reality. A sinful human can't do that. The leader, the, the ruler who can do that is described at the beginning of Micah chapter 5. So look with me at Micah chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. <clears throat> Excuse me. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. 
and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And that's the leader that's needed. But Micah doesn't give us a name there. He doesn't tell us exactly who, but he gives us a location. He says in verse 2, Bethlehem. And this is the very prophecy that's referenced roughly 700 years later. When a group of wise men come to Jerusalem looking for this child who's been born king of the Jews. Now the person holding the title of king at that time, Herod, he was a little unsettled by, the, the, by that development. So the religious leaders were called together, they scour the archives, and they come upon Micah's words prophesying that the king who would bring about the things described in chapter 4, that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So upon learning that, the wise men, they went on their way, they go to Bethlehem, and they find Jesus there. Jesus is the ruler who will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Jesus is the ruler who will rule in the majesty of the name of the Lord, who will bring security across the earth. Jesus is the ruler who will be their peace, as Micah says. The leaders of God's people in the time of Micah were failing, and, 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 and they would be held accountable for their actions. But the solution to the problem wasn't a better sinful leader. What the people needed, and, and what we need, is this promised ruler born in Bethlehem. That is who we need. And so for a final time this morning, we can turn our attention uh, to our own context we should examine ourselves to, to see if there's any areas where we are expecting a sinful human to do what only God himself can do. Again, I've, I've mentioned politics already this morning. I don't think we need to say too much more other than just to, <clears throat> just to encourage us to be discerning about how much hope we place in political candidates. And, and that's a great question to ask somebody else, how much hope I, you know, ask them about ourselves, right? Somebody that we know and trust will be honest with us. Am I placing too much hope, does it look like, in a political candidate? Right, but, but moving away from politics, I think there's, there's two main things we ought to take away from, from Micah's message in these chapters. The first is that, that leadership, those who are in leadership, that matters. That really matters. The leaders of God's people were living for themselves. They were, they were failing to shepherd the people, and they brought about some really difficult times for the entire nation. The Assyrians and later the Babylonians who overthrew the northern and southern kingdoms, they were real armies. They inflicted real pain and real suffering on God's people. That was a real outcome attached to failed leadership. So, so leadership matters. And I think it means we ought, we ought to take seriously the positions of leadership which we hold in our lives. And it, it could be it could be leadership in our homes, workplaces, schools, neighborhoods, sports teams, even just a relationship with one other person, right? I mean, if God has placed us in a situation where, where we're given the mantle of leadership, we, we ought to strive to carry that out in a way where, where we are seeking to love God and love others. Right? The ways in which we lead matter. 
the power and wisdom of the Holy Spirit will, will allow us to lead in those ways that are God-honoring and beneficial to others. Yes, we are sinful leaders, but we're not powerless. God has empowered us to lead in, in those kinds of ways. So leadership matters when we think about ourselves. And, and again, the, the people who are in leadership over us matters, right? It's true on a national level, but it's also true on a smaller scale as well. And so we, we have to take seriously our role in, in voting for leaders or, or equipping and training future leaders or, or supporting leaders. Uh, but in that, we can't become nihilistic, when our leaders fail and, and we face the consequences of that. You know, it, it, in the case of, of Micah's day, they were sent into exile. Right? They, they suffered the consequences of failed leadership. But God worked through that situation to preserve a remnant of people through whom he would bring about, bring the fulfillment of, of all his promises, and especially those pertaining to the coming of Jesus. So, it didn't probably work out how they would have hoped it would have worked out, the people that were suffering, but that doesn't mean that there was no hope, that it was a lost cause. God, God was still working through that. So, so if, if our country, if our, if our state, if our town falters under failed leadership and we face real difficulties as a result of that, it won't be pleasant, but that's not the end of all things. That's not the end. Just as King Ahaz and, and any of the other bad kings in, uh, for God's people couldn't thwart God's promises, neither can any of our leaders today. God's promises will not be thwarted. His purposes will not be thwarted. Again, it doesn't mean that leadership doesn't matter because it does. But God will bring about his purposes. And, and the second takeaway then from Micah, we, we know that leadership matters, but we see in this that, that we need Jesus as our king. I mean, we need that. We need him. We need him to be the ruler who, who, who we cannot provide for ourselves. Mankind cannot provide for ourselves due to our sinfulness. We need Jesus to be that. So while, it, again, it matters who our leaders are, we must always look to and place our ultimate hope in Jesus. He's the only one that can bring about Micah chapter 4. And so I think that means we have to probably lower our expectations for human leaders and, and raise our expectations for what Jesus is doing and will do as he serves as king. The reality described in Micah chapter 4 isn't just wishful thinking. It, it, it's not just this utopian vision that can never be attained. It, not at all. It, it is the promised reality for what it will be like under the reign and rule of King Jesus. It's a promise, steadfast. And we've got to keep our eyes on that. Right? We've got to keep our eyes on that promise. We've got to ground our hope in that promise, and, and then live in such a way and lead in such a way in those places where we are given leadership that we are proclaiming that promise to others as well, that Jesus is the king who will bring about what we need and what we desire. I, I, I was, uh, one author described it this way. Um, uh, what, what's pictured in chapter four, this is how he described it. I thought it was so good. 
He said, it, it is totally out of harmony with the reality of our world, <laughs> right? What we read in chapter 4 is out of harmony with what we experience right now, yet fully in harmony, yet fully in harmony with what we would like the world to be. So chapter 4 doesn't describe how things are. We know that. But it does describe how we would like things to be. Mankind longs for this message of hope that Micah proclaims. And so let's point mankind, let's point those around us to that one leader, the one true king of kings who can and will bring this reality to fruition. We keep our own hope and our own eyes upon that and we point others to that as well. And it's going to happen. <laughs> this is going to be the reality for us for eternity. That's, man, that, that's a message of hope right there. Let's stand together and let's give God praise for this hope that we have and praise that, that he is that king, that he's that only king who can bring this about. Father, we come to you this morning and we look at our reality, we look, at, we look back through history, we, we, we just see all kinds of examples of failed leaders. We look at ourselves and we see that as well. God, I thank you that, that it is not on our shoulders to bring about this hope in Micah chapter 4. And so would you help us to remember that, that it's not on our shoulders, but would you help us to also remember that you will bring that about, that we can hope in you and trust in you, have faith that, that you are the king who we need, that you are reigning currently, and that upon your return to this earth, there will be no question of that reign, and your kingdom will fully fully come to fruition, be across the entire earth, all of creation. God, we so look forward to that day. In, in, the, in the times where, where this life is a struggle, where we deal with the outcomes of, of, of sin, the outcomes of, of failed leadership, would you help us remember the hope that we have in you? And God, as we continue worshiping you this morning through song, may we proclaim that that you are, you are where our hope lies. We recognize you as our king. We bow to you as our king, and we worship you as our king, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.